As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. This week's podcast is brought to you by Bill Taylor Enterprises. BTE is a manufacturing, design, and support company that specializes in high-performance automatic transmission assemblies and components for drag racing, off-road, marine, and street performance. With over 50 years of experience in drag racing, BTE has been a trendsetter and innovator, placing themselves and their customers ahead of the pack. Today's podcast is brought to you in part by ThisIsBracketRacing.com. ThisIsBracketRacing.com is more than just our exclusive membership community, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. ThisIsBracketRacing.com is your online home for this podcast, among many other sportsman drag racing resources. Check it out at ThisIsBracketRacing.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in Sportsman Drag Racing and the stars within it. It's time for the big interview. On the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. All right, guys, as customary here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, you know, we like to get the latest and greatest big winner on the show. And he's a winner. He's not really a big winner, but he did win big. And it is an honor to have him on the show. Great to have Peeps Pennington, the latest and fourth winner of the Spring Fling Million. Peeps, what's going on tonight, bud? Oh, Jed, we just got loaded up. We we went racing this weekend again. Probably should have stayed home, but just had to itch, get back on the racetrack, and we're just getting ready to head back home from the Texas Motorplex. Good to be on the show with you and Luke. I feel like I'm pretty famous to get to talk to you two guys here. 
<laughs> well, you, if you wasn't famous already, which you were, you are now very famous for this pulling this big win off. Peeps, first and foremost, congratulations. Uh, that was a pretty amazing day. Uh, I know that uh, I talked to you early in the day, and you were not as happy as I've seen you before, but when I talked to you at the end of the day, you were extremely happy. What a day at the track. <laughs> it's always good to get to talk to you at the end of the day, uh, since you are the guy that does the winning circle. So I like talking to you in the middle of the day, but you know, at the end of the day, I, I, I warm up to you just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Now one Pennington's always in the winner's circle there, but we had two of them. That was pretty good time. No relation. Uh, I think everybody's figured that out by now, but so peeps just, <laughs> Take us through the day. I mean, just like I talked to you, you was ready to burn one of the buggies, and you said, you know, I'd like to set this thing on fire, and, you know, I guess another one worked out well for you. Take us through the day and tell us, basically, from the time you got your day started till you wrapped it up, what happened? What was it like? Well, we started out, I, I actually stayed at a at a hotel down the road from the track. Uh, we had, like, 47 people in the motorhome that weekend, <laughs> and, and so I... I elected to go get a hotel room the night before and try to get a better night's sleep. And hmm. my dad was late picking me up from the motel. I, I don't know what he was doing, but, you know, the cars are going down the track at 8 in the morning. And I'm at the hotel room at 8.45, I think, just waiting on him to pick me up. And I get there, and I, I'm still debating on whether I should run both cars. I felt better in the in the other car, which is Mike's Roadster, and, and it was pretty good up to that point and I thought well I always seem to do better than Phil's car so I, I probably should enter it too just because and I entered both of them and Mike's Roadster it, it, we still don't know what's wrong with it actually we, we've been chasing our tail with it and it makes a bad noise when it's in high gear it's howling and screaming and just kind of moving all over the dial in and so first round I, I got beat I bought it back you know just a little frustrated not necessarily down and out but it didn't start off good, is what I'm saying. And uh, <laughs> for some reason, the other car was really, really good. I just didn't have as many runs in it. So I thought, you know, if I could, if I could just get a couple of runs here and get some more data. I think, I think my odds are better in this other car. And turns out it was exactly the case. Yeah, I'd say that worked out pretty well for you. Good call. So you're progressing through. You so you you bought this the other entry back that you lost in and, and where did it exit the race? Was it the next, was it the re-entry round or? No, I think I won the re-entry and I lost. It was early. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, anything. Didn't win a dollar back in it, but I want to say I, I lost it in the third round. Okay. And Mike lost the same round as well in the same car. But so anyway, my experience. it wasn't, no, I didn't have anything to say. Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. So my that experience, was all we've got to say about that entry, dude. That's it. <laughs> so my experience when you no got good, two Jed. cars, when you got two cars, especially in a big race, when that first one goes out, especially if it's early, I think that's probably about the time I caught you in the lanes and was chatting. <laughs> uh, you know, it's aggravating. I catch you at that time a lot, I think. <laughs> you're a pretty fiery guy, too, so you, you wasn't happy. But So you, you're progressing through the race with the entry number two, obviously the one you won in. At what point, peeps, do you let yourself believe, okay, I've performed well enough today, and this car's good enough that this actually could be my day. Just keep doing what I'm doing. At what point in the race do you feel like you you you've got a chance to end this thing? 
that's a tough question, Jed. I mean, obviously, when you start today, I, I don't think anybody entered the million and said, you know, if I could win the third round, I'm going the distance. You feel like you could do it from the start, but as you go and, and you get a few runs, and I, I felt like I didn't have many runs in that car for some reason, and and it's quite a bit faster. So once I got a little more adjusted to it and the other car was gone, I felt like, you know what, this is this has been my – my horse anyways from for the last year i've driven this car more and my dad actually likes that car more than mike's car because it's faster he's he's you know he likes fast stuff and i thought you know it'd be really cool to win this race in in any car but this one would be really cool because that's his favorite car anyways and i think i had a round where i don't remember who i run he was he was a younger kid in a in a little red door slammer and he made a really good run. He was seven dead on four, and and I let go perfect that run, and I dialed it down because I said, you know what, I, I've been I've been getting there by a little bit every time, and I it looks further than that. So I said, you know what, this guy's a, he's a little too slow to take a chance on that. So I dialed it dead on, and I let go, and I held it to the floor, and it, it actually slowed up a few thou uh, in the middle, and I went ten thou over the dial, and I was perfect on the tree. So I beat him there. Uh, the slip said 0019. So mm. that was around. I said, you know what? That right there went my way. And <laughs> I knew from there, and I said, well, if I don't do something stupid, I feel like the chips fell my way once. And so I don't goof it up. I like my odds here. Yeah, I think that was Matt Dattis, if memory serves me correct. Uh, I had been calling. I had been calling runs for a long time by that time. I've not been in the lanes for quite some time. So you get by that round you talked about, and now you're obviously down to the to the drama part of this thing where everybody's uh, talking a lot back in the lanes. And you get through that point, peeps, and get back on the racetrack. So from where... We won't talk money. Obviously, that's none of my business or anyone's. But from the point where all that was settled, getting to the to the final round and getting it done, what was going through your head? What was that like? Was it just any old race, or was you was you having to do anything extra to get yourself calmed down for it? What was going on? Well, it's not any other race. I think Luke Luke would testify to that. He's been in the final round of the million and and won it. And there's just, you can't just say this is just another race because everybody that's in at that point knows they're close. And, you know, you just, you want to win so bad. You can't just say, yeah, this is like racing on Saturday night at home because it's not. I mean, it's just, it's not the same. But as far as doing anything different, no, you do the same stuff. You just a little more intense at that point. You know, just everything is, is a little bit bigger. Yeah, I remember Luke, and I'm sure he'll he'll chime in on this. But I remember Luke talking about he found himself saying, "Man, this, this soak all this in. You know, this is possibly a once in a lifetime moment. So soak it all." In. Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely something that there's a lot of guys that are you know very good racers that that race a long time. Uh, Jason Lynch is one of them, and and I know he had a you know, pretty unfortunate run. I, I ran him. I think it was eight cars left, and we're both 10 on the tree and he's probably going dead on i'm sure and i was going dead on as well so i'm sure it was going to be a dead heat at the finish line but you know i heard that his diaper got hung in the flywheel and shut it off but you know it's just stuff like that racing jason's been at this a long long time 
and he's been close and he's definitely capable of winning the race and just something like that happens and <laughs> it he just makes you wonder sometimes why it feels really good that you got to do it but at the same time you say man that's, that's really bad for catfish because that that had to hurt yeah i'm sure Beeps, I know that uh, the Jed, like he just has a way of kind of needling you, and I know he's kind of giving you a hard time, but I don't know if you're aware that there is no one, maybe outside of family on the face of the earth, that had more confidence in you coming in. I'm going to just assume that you know and knew on Friday at the Million that you were Big Jed's horse. On the podcast the week prior, we tried to go out on a limb, pick a winner. Big Jed picked Peeps. Now, I, I'm just going to assume that that was the catalyst, that that gave you the confidence that you needed to propel you to a million victories. Is that fair? I did not know he picked me. I, I'll be honest with you guys. I, I haven't listened much. Work with me uh, here. Believe it or not, I have, a, <laughs> I have a job. You know, I got a job now, so I, I don't have a whole lot of goofing off time. But, you know, Jed's picked me. For several years now, I'm not real sure what he's thinking sometimes, but he's he's picked me for several years, and you know, I've been close. But uh, I'm glad I could get it done for you, Jed. Did you win any money on the deal, or did you just – everybody say, oh, yeah, Jed got it right. Didn't win a dime, uh, and, and really, I never really think you're going to win. I just like the crap out of you, man. I just like to say peeps. So, uh, did you see, really – he, he just likes to root for a Pennington. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Pennington's well, going to win, it's be one from Texas, probably. So, <laughs> so and, and well, that's cool. Tell you, we did it in the tower, uh, I guess, Thursday night late. We all threw in, everybody in the tower threw in 20 bucks and picked a, picked a winner for Friday's million. And, of course, I said, well, I picked Peeps on the podcast, so I'll take Peeps. And, I mean, they it just got started. And they said, no, Sally's already picked him from North Carolina. She's back taking care of Chad Langdon or helping take care of Chad. And Sally made sure she had you first and foremost. So, you know, that was a done deal. So I I said, well, heck, give me sugar. Well, I like. How about that? That was a good pick, too. (laughs) Had the final (laughs) round. (laughs) You know, Sally is my, you know, she's my number one. And I hate we missed her this year, but. She had other things going on. I understand that, but she texted me that night, or I don't really know if it was that night. I had so many messages, but I went through the, the following morning and had a had a pretty good text from her. I didn't know she had picked me to win, but that's really cool. She's a she's a great lady, and I I like to see her at the races. No doubt, she's wonderful. So you've won your your win light comes on in the final round, peeps. You've won a ton of stuff. Nothing like this. What was it like? No, you put it close. into words. Everybody goes through the, you know, you've had dreams of winning this race, and, and you think you think you know what you're going to do when that win light finally does come on. And you know, I've thought about it since I was riding, the, you know, a dirt bike through the pits, and I was going to race, you know, Luke Bongiacchi in the final of the million-dollar race, and I was going to be 004 and dead on, and he was going to just be wasting fuel. You know, you've all went through it <laughs> and played it through your mind so many times. And you say, yeah, when I win the million, this is what I'm going to do. And when it actually happened, you know, all that stuff that I had been thinking for these many years, just it was all out the window. I mean, that, nothing like what you would think. I know Kenny Underwood backed up and did a burnout and 
blew the valves out of his Camaro that one year, and <laughs> that was cool. But he's the only guy I could think of that would say, you know what, I'm I'm fixing to win this deal, and I plan on doing this after it happens. I had no plans. Winning the that round was, you know, the first thing on the list, and when the wind light comes on, it's just, you know, it's like, golly, that's, it's on. It's shining right there, and it's over, and you just coasted all the way to the top of the hill, and I turned around at the top of the track, and I had my helmet off, and the guys at the very end by the sand trap was clapping. You know, it just ain't nothing that I've worn that's even close. So turned around and just take a deep breath and just try to take it all in. I mean, I turned around at the very end of the track, and, it's, of course, it's higher than everything. So you're looking down, and you can see all of Vegas. There's just nothing like it. I mean, it was yeah. it was really cool. And then I thought, you know what, I, I need to talk to Shane because that's got to be a bad feeling. I know my brother got beat by Luke there, and he was, you know, not devastated, but, you know, just you're that close, and, and the wind light doesn't come on. So you you kind of feel for the guy in the other lane and want to talk to him and tell him good job. But there's no way to describe it or, or say this is what I'm going to do if I win the million because I really – I thought I would know what I was going to do. When I win the million, this is what I'm going to do. And, and not at all. Maybe you'll get that yeah. on the next one. <laughs> Maybe we'll try. Yeah. <laughs> next, time, next time we'll be much better prepared, right? <laughs> yeah. I've, got a, I've got a handful of things that I want to unpack here a little bit. The, the first, and this is a question I ask everybody that after winning a, an event of this magnitude, and you may have already touched on some of it, but I always feel like, you know, everybody says – whenever you get away with one well you got to have a lucky round i guess i agree with that to some extent like over the course of whatever it was nine or ten rounds i think nine this year like Mm -hmm. inevitably you make a run that like looking back was probably not your best run of the day and it happens to be at the right time where you get away with it but i say on the flip side Mm -hmm. of that for every one of those there's also a round where you kind of have to stand on your head so to speak where your opponent makes a, a great run that would typically beat you and it just so lines up where you make a better one that time so you may have already right. touched on that with the run against Data, Datus, but on mm-hmm. each side of it, like a run that you maybe got away with and one that you, you're really proud of the way that he executed. That one, obviously against Datus, I think, I, I don't know if you call it a lucky round or, or just making the right run at the right time. That that just kind of just kind of clicked on that particular run. But, you know, I was, when I run Underwood, I was, I was not, I didn't make a stellar run, but, and that was, a pretty critical run in the race and everybody in the staging lanes is a little fired up and uh it adds pressure i mean it it does but i knew that you know you don't you don't necessarily have to be perfect you know you got to beat the guy that's next to you every time and and that's kind of what i focused on and and that run i was i was 24 on the tree i hadn't really been in that lane and uh that stuff you try not to let it get to you but I was thrown into the right lane, which you know, isn't really that bad of a, a thing. Being in the roadster, getting caught, I could kind of see out of that lane a little better. So I thought, well, it's not that bad. So I, I tried to just put it past me. And I was 24 on the tree. He was 19. And honestly, I thought I crushed it. When I let it go, I said, that's it. And it took off. I rolled him through five foul, but, you know, it wasn't obviously at the target run uh you don't you don't set up for 24 on the tree but i don't know if it was uh you know just squeeze the button or what it was but definitely beatable that run 
I thought, you know what, I may have got away with one right there. Just didn't feel terrible, but wasn't great. And so that was probably one of the runs I said, you know what, it's just going my way. I mean, did a great job at the finish line, I thought, all day. Actually, I, I think I looked back at some of my slips, and I didn't look through all of them because it really don't matter at this point. But I don't think I took more than 8,000th finish line against anybody except for Jason, and he he let out at you know, 400 feet. So I, I did a really good job. Some days you can just see the finish line better, and I thought, I'm just I'm getting there a little bit every time, and I can see it. So it looked like it looked like a mile, and it wasn't. I don't know. I think Ron Lane made a comment one time. He said, some days you can just see it. And I was seeing the finish line really well that day and and going dead on a lot, which helps. Yeah, no question. I'm curious, you had, you'd mentioned, just in general, like you get down to the late rounds of an event like the Spring Fling Million, and obviously – there's a ton of money on the line, more than we're accustomed to racing for. There's a lot of fanfare. There's a lot of people watching. Like, there's a lot going on just in general. But specific to your day, there was two rounds I wanted to single out. You mentioned the round with Underwood and, and all of the unique dynamics to that, right? And then two mm-hmm. rounds later, you're in the semifinals of the Million, and you paired up with Andy Schmall, who is the only <laughs> remaining no-box racer. Now, obviously yep. – like, I'm just curious the thought process coming into that, because obviously Andy's earned his spot there and he's drove lights out all day long, but there's got to be a part right. of you saying, hey man, like, I got one of these delay box things and he doesn't? Like, how yeah. hard of a mental <laughs> hurdle is it to overcome that and make the run that you're capable of? Or what are you fighting internally coming into that round? I try not to think of none of that, Luke, because I, I know he's a great racer. And, sure. Um he he's ran across the country. I think I think he actually ran you in a final somewhere last year that was He beat me in the final of a thirty grander. Yes. Right. And and I remembered that and I thought, you know, this guy he can beat us. And so you, you can't you can't go up there and just say, you know, I got this sportsman guy, you know, like Saturday night lights and uh <laughs> <laughs> you know, this this is not probably gonna be an easy run, but uh, you know, I, I think Andy's, I haven't raced a whole lot with Andy, but no, he missed the tree a little there. I wasn't, I, I didn't make the target run again, but you know, again, I think not making a big mistake and uh, not letting the, the pressure get to you at that point is a big part of the, the million dollar race. Yeah, I'll agree with that. To that point, you've had a lot of, obviously you hadn't been in a, you hadn't won a million, you hadn't been in the final round of a million dollar race, but you've had a lot of success over the course of the last five, maybe seven years at the million at both venues. Like you've been deep at Vegas, deep at Montgomery. I'm curious now, as you look back, obviously anytime that you were defeated in those races, it didn't feel good in the moment. Now, do you feel like those near misses or those, you know, get down to understanding what that feels like? Do you feel like that enabled you to perform at the level that you did this time around? I made the split several times. I don't, I don't know exactly the number, but yeah, I mean, once you get to the split, you know, that many times it's, it's like the million dollar race is my favorite race of the year because this is really the race where, you know, you can get paid a lot and, and you don't necessarily have to win it every time and you could still make money. So yeah, getting, getting to the split and making it deep in the million is, is great and i think in 2014 i believe it was which was one of my better years 
uh, when I raced quite a bit everywhere. I was probably twice the racer that I am today. Then I got close in Montgomery and I was in the semi. Uh, there was three cars left and I actually made a really good run. I was nine total and I got beat by, um, I'm trying to think of the guy's name, Cecil Hankins, I believe this was his name. He was triple zero dead on the four. And, and, you know, going into that, that race that day, I, I was on top of the world. I mean, I, I thought, I felt like Superman, you know, these guys probably can't beat me. I was confident. And, uh, especially when I got the three cars inside, I just don't see, I see the light at the end of the tunnel. And he laid me one down and I thought, you know what, that right there, that hurt. And so from then on, as I got older, I got a little smarter. And I said, you know, any of these guys can beat you, but one of these days we're going to line the stars up on the right day. And it just so happened to be in Vegas. And and to be honest with you, the timing was, was right. I felt like I was driving the right car. If I would have won it in Montgomery in 2014, it would have been, you know, awesome. But it didn't happen. I was driving a dragster. And just I feel like this year, you know, the right people were there. And the, everything was, was right. And, uh, you know, I felt like I had a good opportunity in front of me. But I didn't necessarily say, this is my day. I'm... Superman, you know, it's just just a little different approach. I I know everybody's capable of winning it, especially at 16 cars. There's a lot of things that can happen. So, but yes, dealing with the pressure, I think making the split and getting deep in the million year after years, it helps. So peeps, you obviously, you just talked about your best million performance up to the spring fling million that you obviously won. And you did that in a dragster in the semis, but you completed the task in your family's chassis that your father started in the early 90s i believe and mm-hmm. some you know the cars you guys race have been built that long obviously updated over the years and, and staying with the times but right. i know this is a silly question but that has to or, or doesn't it give you extra special feeling does it make it a little more sentimental doing it in what your father started it is the pennington roadster which you know there's i think you told me there's nine in the world so that had been extra special yeah that was that it made it you know that much sweeter and you know for my dad to be there on the starting line and watching it he told me with with eight cars left he said you're gonna win and he's the most confident guy in the world and i mean he literally thinks these other seven guys have no chance to beat me and I'm on the other side of the coin. Like, I know we have a good shot, but he hasn't raced in in uh, 15 years, so he thinks we're unbeatable at this point. And just get up there, he said. Uh, he was trying to tell me don't split it too much, and I'm thinking, you know, Dad, if I win, you know, if I can win fifty thousand dollars tonight, and and we don't win the race, I that'll be good for me. I, I'll take that. <laughs> and. And we'll go to the house, and I can live, you know, for the rest of the year on fifty grand. That'd be no problem for me. I'm a, I'm a tightwad. So we don't eat much. We know that. I don't eat a whole lot. (laughs) Don't have time. Jed and work too much down here. (laughs) (laughs) No. So I told him. I said, and then he said, "Well, I'll tell you what. I don't care what you do with the money. Just go win the race." And he just is calm and just, you know, I. I don't know. Maybe that's where I, I get it because I don't really get worked up. I, I feel like 
maybe that's where I get it from. I've seen a guy cuss him out on the starting line before, mad at him. The guy, he beat a guy at a race in San Antonio one night, 15 or 20 years ago, and I was a young kid, and I was sitting on my bicycle, and, and the guy's cussing him out. He's got his helmet on, and uh, I think he's in the semi, and the guy's just cussing him out. I'm thinking, man, what's this guy's problem? And he never even said a word, and uh, he pulled out on the track, won that round, and I'm asking him when he got back to trailer, what was that guy doing? He said, I, I don't really know what he was doing. He's mad about last round. He just completely shut it out and won that race and won the round, the, the following round, won the whole race. And I thought, you know what? That right there, if that was one of my brothers, they'd have got out of the car and they'd have been rolling around on the start line. But <laughs> he just, he just somehow blocks everything out. And that, I guess that transferred into me somehow. There's one string I got to pull on a little bit more. Earlier in answer to one of our questions, you'd said something to the effect of back in 2014, I was twice the racer I am now, or probably twice the racer I am now. And that seems odd coming from someone that just won the Spring Fling Million. So I got to ask you to elaborate. <laughs> you raced for, I don't know, 10 years full time, and, and you made 50 runs a weekend at times, you know, where you just you go and you double enter, and it's a three day event. And, and you just get so many laps, and, and it becomes second nature. You know, everything you do is just its almost like muscle memory, and, and you just don't make the silly mistakes, and you don't even know. You just you drive the finish line. You can read the race. Everything clicks so much easier when you do it three or four days a week, and in 2014, that is what I did, and I felt like I could do it as good as anybody. I mean, this is not that hard, and I felt like I could – see the finish line as good as anybody there was and so if, if I could get off the starting line as good or better I like my chances 99 out of 100 so when we got into you know the used car business I I couldn't travel as much I couldn't go like I did then I, and so you know now we race once a month or you know sometimes we don't race at all in a month and so it's once every other month and so you're just, you don't feel like, and I, it took me a while to, to adapt to that because, you know, you lose some of the skill that you used to have and didn't know you had. You just, you know, you go to the finish line and you mess it up a couple thousands and say, yeah, I never used to do that. I mean, that was stupid. And so that, that was what I meant by that. But now I've, as, as we do what we do now is as far as not racing every week and, and just running once a month or so. I feel like I've gotten better because I know this. I know I'm not as good at the finish line as I used to be, and so I I, I just have to change some of the things I do because I know I'm I'm not as skilled or it's just not as repetitive as it used to be. Yeah, that's uh, obviously that's a challenge to to keep your skill level as high as you want it when you're not racing as much. But you know that's probably also can be a little bit refreshing too because you you know you you get fewer opportunities so you probably enjoy it a little more you know it, it can become a job when you go like you were going at one time peeps yeah it was a job and and now it feels like it's even more of a job because when we get ready to go it seems like nothing's ready and we haven't looked at it since last time and <laughs> <laughs> so we get there and our guns are half cocked but you know it's it's just something that I had to get used to, and 
I know a, a lot of the racers at the track are the same exact way. So that, that helped me put it in perspective. I was like, you know what? You know, there's only 15 guys here that this is all they do. And, you know, other than those guys, you know, you don't have to beat those guys every run. You just got to beat them once. That's all you got to do. Sounds simple. So <laughs> you obviously just told us you, you don't uh, you don't get to race as much. But having come off the the million dollar win, has that changed your plans? What's what's the rest of the season got in store for you, bud? No, we will do the same same as we we've, we've been doing for the past couple of years. Just probably try to make some of the bigger events. Obviously, the million in Montgomery. We're going to the the uh whatever it is 500 grander in in bristol but you know just run around here local dallas area when they have something that's you know decent payout and other than that then it's the bigger events that we typically go to i look forward to seeing you time if that's what you're asking yeah i was wondering if if that (laughs) ramps you up any if you go more but uh, probably sound like you're probably just going to do much of the same you've been doing yes sir Let's lighten the mood just a little bit. We talked about the nuts and bolts and the the mindset and everything that went into the actual festivities on the racetrack. But as most of our listeners know, the fanfare surrounding the Spring Fling Million is unique, to say the least. Let's talk about the after. How did this shake down? Tell everybody how how cool it is, the limo ride, the Cosmo. I know it's a bit late in the night, but let's just just get a little sneak peek at, at what that's like. Yeah, I was pretty give out after the race i didn't know what time it was i just knew it was it felt late i think i yawned in the winter circle i thought man this is this is pretty late at night and the limo guy he he had to come over and tell us he pulled up to the motorhome we were going to take a shower right quick and change clothes and, and head down and pulled over and he said you know i i'm done at 2 30 tonight i don't know if y'all are aware of that but it was like a little after two o'clock so he might have gotten tired of waiting on us and we all got loaded up in there i think there was eight of us uh me and my brothers my best friend badger from high school he was with us and his girlfriend and so we all went down and we stayed out way too late it was i think it was 6 a.m mike was mike said i'm gonna head back to the track him and hunter Patton and cassie they headed back to the track at 6 a.m and and me and Phil and Badger and some of the girls that went with us, we stayed down there. And uh, the suite, you know, it's on the 63rd floor. I don't know where yours was, Luke, but you're kind of a redneck like myself. And you've probably never been in a in a skyscraper, and, and I had neither. But when that thing took off from the ground zero, we were on the 63rd floor in like two and a half seconds. I think we had a 60 foot that was better than I had all night <laughs> at the million and we were just, you know, it was pretty wild. You walk out on the balcony there, and, and there's the strip, you know, the right there below you. And, you know, just something a guy like I have never seen, all the bright lights down there. I've been down there, but I've never been that high and looked down on it. So it was really cool to see all that and, and to do it for free. That was even better because I would never pay to go and, and sleep in that room with my own money. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> sound like a really good time so, <laughs> well, so well i had in full intentions of racing the following day and it was six in the morning i said you know what there is no way 
that I can beat <laughs> anybody. So I might as well just stay here and uh, just save the embarrassment. So I'll just stay here and, and we'll see how they do. And Mike actually went and raced. I couldn't believe it. When I woke up the next day, I, we got a group text and I had seen that he was still in and like the fourth round. I'm like, good gosh, how is he not, you know, they need to, somebody better watch him because he might fall asleep while he's staging or something. They need to hit him in the head. Well, you, you asked in the winter circle uh, Friday night, do I race tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm pretty you sure what I said. I told you, heck no. Don't, yeah, don't come no. back here and let somebody beat you. <laughs> you go out on top. And that's exactly what you did. Yeah. Beeps yeah. watching it round by round. You had a tremendous amount of family and friends. You probably never knew you had so many friends, but you had your family there going to the line where you're cheering you on. I know they're a huge help in getting you to and from the racetrack and, and helping you go with the the great equipment that you go with anybody else need any special recognition from you this evening as part of that big win uh yeah we need to thank uh mickey thompson tires we've we've been running uh mickey's for 15 plus years on every car we got and they help us out which we appreciate and uh vp racing fuels is right there in elmendorf texas right down the road from where we live and brad and the guys at vp we appreciate everything they do for us Andy at Huntsville Engine, you know, helping us get down a racetrack and pretty quick. I don't know if anybody noticed we was dialed 477 in a roadster. <laughs> yeah. and uh, On a mountain. <laughs> yeah, with a round on the, on the carburetor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought, you know what, when I let go of this button in the final, I might suck the blower plumb off of Shane Carr's dragster with this thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that you was definitely making down the carburetor. power. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. And getting it stuck to the ground too, obviously. So, yep. So, peeps, congratulations! All that was wonderful, taking us down the road of, of your big win in Vegas, and we enjoyed it. But, and you got, you admitted that you don't get to listen very often. But we're not quite done. We, you know, we've asked you the standard questions that we'd ask any big winner. And, We've had a good time talking to you about it, but now we got rapid fire. <laughs> kind of five one-liners. We just ask you something, you give us your answer. You think you're up for that? Okay. Peeps, this is where it gets uh, cool. Come on, you got the you, you, okay, you just yeah. got to re, re, reshape yeah. in your mind. Well, I've heard plenty about the split and all that. You know, you believe it or not, you're not the first one to ask me that. I think I'll, I'll be relieved if you'll ask me something else. So, Dude, we kind of take away. the tact that that's not really any of our business, so we're going to steer yeah. away. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get well, into a uh, – I've got, I've got a commentary on that at some point. I, I've, I've got a rant, but it has nothing to do with you. So my first question, we actually – Jed and I had like a gentleman's agreement off air that we weren't going to reference you as peeps the entire interview. We were just going to press in this, press in that. And Jed threw it out there. I think it was off air. And it didn't phase you, you know, like it, it just you just lost the fun in it. So that's my first rapid fire yeah. question: is is what is the genesis? Where did peeps come from? Well, when I was a young kid, believe it or not, I was I was pretty small. Jed, you may no. not believe that, but uh, did, I, did did that I change? Never was a, <laughs> I never was a big guy. So <laughs> when I was a kid, uh, somebody called me a peep squeak, and there was an old man at a baseball 
he was kin to us somehow. But anyways, he said, uh, did they just call him Peeps? And and so from there, it, it stuck. And I'm 28 years old now, and, and I've been Peeps ever since. I, I decided, you know what? Everybody calls me Peeps. The only person that calls me Preston is, is my mom. And when I hear that, she says my middle name after it. Oh, and that's when I know that that's never good. uh, It's Scott Preston Scott. So anyway, when she that it's not good. And anyways, peeps it is. I I decided, you know what? Everybody calls me peeps. I'm name on Facebook, so I I did that too. I was there when Peep Show was introduced, but I can't remember who come up with that. Who was it? Gerard Biddles. He did it. He said, you know what? He said, I could paint you, and my dad would kill him, but he wanted to paint a uh, some kind of a crazy-looking dash for one of my dragsters and, and put the peep show on it, And because uh, that was the first thing that came to his mind when he, when he heard peeps. <laughs> and so he said that, and then he sent me some decals in the mail. I and the uh, decals. Yep, that was how well, it came about. Well, imagine that. So... <laughs> <laughs> peeps if you didn't race what would you do and that's a good question i talk about that a lot because you know how many times i've quit yeah, since like all. 2015 <laughs> every I'm weekend right now. <laughs> i'm over it i i'm but we come to the texas motorplex and we got stomped i feel like i got stomped this weekend went some rounds but my goodness i'm looking for something else to do at this point and <laughs> I don't know what, I really don't. I, I, me and my brothers talk about it all the time. We say, you know what, we got all this stuff. and <laughs> It just seems silly sometimes. And then and then you say, well, what would we do? I mean, this is what we like. I mean, I like doing burnouts. I, that's one of my favorite parts of driving the roadsters. I feel like <laughs> oh, if you we had a burnout contest, they would never beat me. I mean, I've got, I've got more horsepower and I got a line lock. No. They can't burn out with me. So that's just something that just won't never leave you. If you do quit racing and you're looking for something, I'd just suggest maybe look at uh, horse racing or maybe something in the rodeo. You seem to fit, you know, both of those profiles fairly well. So just throwing some stuff out there for you. Yeah, that stuff seems very, you know, we watch some of the rodeo stuff and that's very similar to what we do. Those guys actually pay entry fees and they get beat, most of them. So it's, I don't think that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> Too familiar. <laughs> Peeps, uh, first thing you do each morning when you wake up. First thing I do in the morning, Jed. I mean, uh, Luke, you know, most of the time I get up and think about all I got to do and what, how late I am getting started. That's, that's a good one. Not an early riser. Not a, uh, I get up about 6.37 every day and, I make a spark energy drink and I head off to an auction or something to, to go buy cars. But normally I'm waiting on Mike to get ready. He's the guy that you got to drag everywhere you go. He's, he's pretty slow. No wonder you ain't got time to listen to the podcast. You're always running behind. Like, try getting up earlier, you know, squeeze you an hour or so in with a podcast app. Yeah. Yeah. I had a question we here that I was going to ask, okay. but I, I'm going to change this question to a hidden talent that, peeps pennington has that we don't know about i mean what do you do you sing you play the guitar what do you, what do, you do peeps <laughs> uh i can imitate just about anybody that you can think of uh 
Can you give me your best Jared Pennington imitation right now on the spot? Oh, always on the spot. <laughs> oh, I can't do Jared Pennington. He, he's uh, he's told me way too many stories, and if I did that to him live right here, he, he would never pick me again, Luke. You hush right now. <laughs> <laughs> So you don't have a yeah. so you don't have one that you like to go to that you just debut right here on the podcast. Do you have a go to no, imitation? I just, you know, no, I just like to make fun of people. You know, I listen to people talk, and <laughs> and uh, when I get done talking to them, I go tell everybody that you know that in our circle, you know how they talk and what they told me. And uh, anyway. I'm never talking to peeps again. <laughs> Worst, uh, you, 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 I think we have a good idea of what your best experience behind the wheel was. I imagine that was pretty recent. But if you think back, worst experience as a racer, you don't have to get into details, but was at what facility? Worst experience. Oh, man. I don't know. I've had a lot of bad experiences, Luke. I've been to the hill at Music City Raceway. And I've never been scared, really, of any kind of a race car. And I always felt pretty in control of anything I've driven. If I didn't, I just wasn't interested in driving it. But I was up there one night, and we were running, me and Mike Eccles, back in probably 2014 or 15. And we, we went to the hill, and Edmund, his kids told me, you know, that you probably shouldn't go this fast at the hill. I don't know if you've ever been here I've been to I've been to Redline Raceway. You know, if you can stop there, you can stop anywhere. Plus, it's like a motocross track after the finish line, and I've run there, and it was no problem. And we went to the hill, and Eccles had just bought an all aluminum SR20 motor to put it in his dragster, and he wanted me to drive it. A little gambler race on a Friday night or something. And I got in and made a time trial and went 4:49 at 154. And I stopped it. Yeah, you know, you got to hit the brakes. You got to slow it down. But it ain't that bad. I, mean, I can hold some and get rid of all that and and not run off the bottom of that hill that I saw at the, at the end of the track. First round comes around. And there's like 12 cars in the race. I mean, we're wasting money. We pull up there and I got a door car. Actually, it's an S10 pickup truck. And he takes off and I take off going down through there and about. 600 feet, you know, right when you, you get to where it's, it's getting real, the lights go out at the whole place. Every light on the <laughs> facility is gone. Mm. And I'm looking at, you know, his pickup, you know, trying to drive the finish line and the lights shut out. Holy smokes. And I go through the finish line. Of course, I got to stop, but I can't see the guardrail. And I can't see, I mean, can't see nothing. All I know is I'm going fast. And there's a hill that drops off in about 500 feet. And there's a guy in an S10 that was wide open a few seconds ago. And he's behind me somewhere. <laughs> so I just stopped. And I stopped. And I'm sitting there. And my car is idling. And I shut it off because I thought, this guy in this S10, he can't see neither. Mm. Get out of this thing and get over the side of the wall. But he fires his truck up. I hear him fired up and, and behind me. Oh, that was wild. And I said, huh, you should have been in this thing if you think it was wild in that. And he 
I said, I appreciate you turning them headlights on after we got these things shut down and stopped. You know, I, if you'd have had those on a while ago, I could have seen where I was headed, you know, for at least for a little ways. <laughs> so that was one of my wildest trips that I've ever been on. I, I've said for you, I've never been 449 at the hill, but I've said for years, the hill's not that scary until you go look at the consequences. And then you don't want to come fast enough. That's when you can't see that. Yeah, they had a log down there, you know, like a like a telephone pole log. That way, if you hit it at the oh, end of the track, it would it would catapult you, you know, essentially over the hill if you if you happen to run over it. Oh, yeah. I thought that was interesting. I don't know where you come from, peeps. They, I know they call that place the hill. That ain't a hill. I mean, it's up on top of the mountain, yeah. and it drops yeah. off the edge of the mountain. <laughs> you know and jody davies you know he's one of my good friends i, I love talking to him I, when i seen he was there that night and he come over that was when we was you know hanging out i was hanging up there quite a bit for a while and he was laughing he thought that was hilarious that the lights went out man you should have been driving this thing you think that was funny i love to trade places with you <laughs> well peeps thanks bud we appreciate you spending some time with us it was great to to get your take on the million and all of the stuff happening within the race. And again, congrats on a, an amazing day at the track and etching your name in the history books as the fourth spring fling million winner. They'll never be able to take it from you. You know, you'll spend the money and all that, but you still got the memory, the check and that beautiful trophy and all the stuff that, that happened as a result. So congratulations again, man. So that was cool to watch and uh, we appreciate you taking some time with us to share it tonight yep and that was it was cool jed i uh couldn't have drawn it up any better myself and you know i'm glad you was out there to to do the interview and i might yeah. just put a picture of us on the wall or something <laughs> do that get two of them send me one too would you <laughs> i'll put it in my yep, man cage luke was there and uh when we did the winter circle picture in the, at the Optima trailer, and I, I just, you know, I, I just looked at him. I said, "It's, it's pretty cool." I mean, I, I don't really, it just ain't, ain't a whole lot you can say. Everybody says, "How does it feel?" Pretty cool. That's a direct quote. Actually, <laughs> it's pretty cool. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> uh, Preston Scott Pennington, congratulations, sir! Uh, thank you for coming on the show. Enjoyed it, and uh, I hope the listeners did too. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. Good to be on the show. All right. Thanks, Pete. See you, bud. All right, guys. See you later. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. To make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available, subscribe. And you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. BTE is one of a few full-service transmission companies with a full array of manufacturing and testing capabilities. Their in-house CNC facility is paired with an extensive collection of gear hobbing and shaping machines to produce any high-performance driveline product. From inception, BTE's racing products are designed, prototyped, 
field tested, produced, inspected, and even shipped by real racers. Just outside of Memphis, Tennessee, their warehouse and manufacturing facility in Mount Pleasant, Mississippi, is stocked with thousands of parts and centrally located in the United States for fast delivery anywhere. Today's podcast is brought to you in part by thisisbracketracing.com. At this point, most of you are familiar with our exclusive membership community, This Is Bracket Racing Elite, but to be completely honest, Elite has taken off to the point that we've closed the doors. We have open enrollment to This Is Bracket Racing Elite a couple of times a year, but in the meantime, there is plenty of great resources available on thisisbracketracing.com. For one thing, it is the online home of this podcast. You can also find a number of resources designed to help you become a better racer. And again, those are not exclusive to This Is Bracket Racing Elite members. There's free material on thisisbracketracing.com. There are resources that can be purchased on a one-off or in a bundle segment without joining This Is Bracket Racing Elite. And we've got cool stuff like our run completion calculator. We've got weather formulas to help you better dial in your car in various conditions. Just a ton of resources regardless of what facet of racing in this sport that you want to focus on and try to become a little bit better at, this is bracketracing.com has without question got resources that will help lead you in that direction. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th. <laughs> 